0: This is one-on-one's NHL podcast, where we take on the five hottest issues in hockey with three of our NHL beat reporters. It's time to go five-on-three.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to five-on-three, WFEV's NHL podcast. Today is Wednesday, October 24th. We're back after our, our bye week. Midterms got the best of us, but we're back. There's plenty to talk about. Matt Costantini, Jackson Heil, Nick Lehman back. Uh, So, guys, the locals, there's good stuff to talk about, and there's not some good stuff to talk about. And we can start off with the Devils, because they've, they've started off the best. Are they the good stuff? They're the good stuff for now, at least in my opinion. Um, I'm going to let you guys get into it, but just to frame it, they may have gotten a little bit lucky with scheduling early on this season. Uh, they got good teams coming off the end of road trips on the back end of of back of back to back games, and it's propelled them to a four two and zero record. Should we be buying into this Devils team, or has their start been a product of scheduling?
2: I think it's a little bit of both. I, I think it's I think it's a f- fair thing to point out that they have played some bad teams, and they've had played some teams that have been put into <laughs> some unfortunate situations like you said, but you also got to acknowledge in the way which they're doing that. I mean, they're fourth in the league in expected goal percentage. It's not like they're getting lucky with wins like this. Kyle Palmieri's been a stud. I mean, I know you've been pretty excited about him on Twitter. But yes, I have. <laughs> first off, another another armed robbery trade by uh, Ray Shiro there, somehow getting Kyle Palmieri for free, which was ridiculous. But again... Not something I really want to get into at this point, but regardless, Palmieri's been good. That line of him, Heisher and Hall has been good. Hall's kind of had a little bit of a slow start, but again, they haven't really needed him that much, which is a good sign because you need other people to step up, which clearly has been the case. I mean, Heisher's looked good. He sure has he sure's got a lot quicker than Yeah, than he I really expected. has. He, he's really gotten, he's taken his game to a, a bit of a different level, and again, he's only 20 years old, so there's a lot of room to grow there, but... I, I'm buying the Devils for now. I think I want I want to see them see them win. They play some better teams, but again, you got to you got to take care of business, and you can't really you can't fault them for the scheduling. That's just kind of how it ended up. Obviously, the Islanders kind of got the short end of the stick. On the other end, having to play teams like San Jose twice, having to play Nashville twice. But listen, the Devils have taken advantage of their schedule, and I think it's unfair to say that they're not for real because the way in which they've gone about their business has been good. But yeah, I, I think we are going to. Learn a little bit more about the Devils going forward
1: So you look at the teams that they Played in this past week They put up six goals against Washington granted backup goalie Phoenix Copley didn't play well at all Then they go out and beat San Jose 3-2 they shut out Dallas 3-0 and that was with a Full strength Dallas team But then they go out, lose 5-3 to Colorado, and that was the first game all year that they really looked overmatched and outplayed, and I think that's a testament to Colorado and just how good they are and how much better they can be. And then they go and drop a disappointing game in their first road game of the year against Philadelphia, and that was a 5-2 scoreline. I watched that game, and they just didn't really look ready to play at all. Nick, what have you seen from the Devils this past week?
0: From this past week, they look to uh, drop off a little bit. They start to get lazy, especially in the Colorado game. I think there were way too many pe- penalties in the Philadelphia game. And to answer your initial question about if you buy into the team or not, I think you're going to have to wait at least two or three more games. They have a tough Nashville team and a Florida team, which quite frankly many people are expecting to be, you know, first in, first out <laughs> they have in one the <laughs> East. which. But even though they have not – started off well by any means, <laughs> oh, but I, at the beginning of the season, they were expected to be first in. I, I have no sympathy for Florida because of the way they handled the Gerard Gallant
2: situation mm-hmm. and everything that happened. They are talented. Don't forget I'm, I'm not, Jonathan
0: Marchessault, too. The,
2: yeah, the Marchessault and, and Riley and Smith Riley fiasco. Smith. Just an absolute butcher job. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, how do you protect Alex Petrovic <laughs> over a guy who was making, what, $800,000 and is coming off a 30-goal season? I mean, I, I could I could go on with that crap for days, but regard regardless with right. go- sticking back to the Devils. I mean, right, right. I I think like you said, they've been fortunate with the schedule early on, and they've kind of have slowed up. But again, they they've lost a, a few good teams. I mean, Philadelphia I think is good. I think they're going to be a playoff team when it comes down to it. Colorado I is one of the one of the teams I love. I don't know if they're going to end up in a playoff spot because I think the West is that dangerous, but. Had the most underlined, underrated line in hockey in McKinnon, Landiscog yeah, and and who? By the way, McKinnon and Ronson are off to like a nine-game point streak. It's wild. wild the year. Those it guys awesome, and Landis Cog can't stop scoring. But they've they've gone up against two good teams. And listen, they they slipped up a bit. That happens. But I, I'm not worried about the Devils, even though I didn't have them making the playoffs this year. I I think they've showed me enough early on where they're definitely going to be involved in it
0: come the end of the year regardless. Well, Giant Hines killed them in practice. They did. I (laughs) saw videos from
1: that practice, and they were just running. They skated laps before they even went into line combinations, went into line rushes. They didn't even have nets on the ice to shoot at because it was just
0: a conditioning
1: day for them.
0: They did, I think it was over an hour and 15 minutes of straight drills just straight and nonstop, less, I think I saw less than 30 seconds in between, giving them barely any rest for like a good hour and a half. I'm very interested to see how the team responds to that, because usually a coach will only do that when he is mad, and we're we're six games in, and John Hines is clearly mad with the last two games. They have a chance to respond against Nashville, who's a very strong team out west.
1: I I really love John Hines. I have loved what he's done for this Devils team. He's brought a sense of accountability to the players. He does not mess around. He's very intense. If you watch the NHL behind the glass, NFL hard knocks version of NHL training camp, you saw how intense he can be. If they're not playing up to his standards, he will let them know, and he does not mince words. He gets right to the point. But there has been more good news for the Devils. It was announced this morning, this afternoon, that Brian Boyle is officially in remission. His cancer has responded well to treatment. And you saw the way that he came back from that initial diagnosis last season and put up the kind of season he did. He won the Bill Masterton for commitment and dedication to hockey, so. deservingly so. Um. So that that just really made me happy. He's been a phenomenal presence on this Devils team. He's another one of those accountability guys, great veteran leadership, and just very happy to see him and his family doing well.
2: He's one of the best guys in hockey all, all around, and, I mean, he was one of my favorites when he was with the Rangers. I mean, he was part of arguably the best fourth line in Rangers history with him, Dominic Moore, and Derek Dorsett in the run to the Stanley Cup in 2014. I mean, they scored so many big goals. I'll never forget I mean, he's had so many big moments with the Rangers, but I'll never forget. I mean, his goal in Game 7 against Pittsburgh, and when they came back from 3-1, his pass to Dominic Moore in Game 6 against the canadians a game which I was at, which is probably my best moment as a sports fan. But he, he's one of the best guys in hockey. He's, as you mentioned, tremendous leadership. He's really talented. He's also, really He's one of the better – His f- skills You is going you, you, can play, you can play him anywhere on the ice. I mean, you, he, he gets power play minutes because he's good around the net – he could kill penalties better than most in the league. And, all-star last year. And he was an all-star last year. And, again, he, he if there, there's no one that, that deserves that type of moment more than Brian Boyle does in the NHL. And you just have to admire his, his courage to play, not only play through the cancer, but also play tremendously well and help out a young Devils team. So, I mean... No, nothing but nothing but the best of him and his family because it's it's
0: he's just a tremendous person and he's got a tremendous family as well. He fits a void that the devils really had beginning of last season which was the inspiration the you know hard working like almost old fashioned n h l player you know the hard hitting you know not not necessarily goal scoring assist wise even though he has had some of that but um uh, He's just a real inspiration to the team, a, a leader on a very young team. And and his play this year so far has been off to a good start. The Devils' fourth line really did produce quite a bit in the first few games. John Sebastian D. with his three goals. I mean, he's going to probably turn into the Brian Gibbons of the team for now. Or, I'll take it. Uh, who we haven't heard his name in a while, even though he started off Really hot last year. Yeah,
1: where did he land? Anaheim? I think he's in Anaheim now. He's in Anaheim. Yeah. So, like we said, we continue to wish Brian Boyle and his family the best. Hopefully he stays in remission and he continues to produce very well for the Devils. Moving on to the Rangers. Um, last time we did the show, they had a rough opening stretch, that, that three-game losing streak. Uh, they bounced back in overtime against San Jose, dropped another home game to Edmonton, beat Colorado in the shootout lost to Washington in overtime dropped a a bad game to Calgary. I don't know if you can call it a bad game because Calgary looked really good that game, but we don't know how good they're going to be the rest of season. And then they they came out and kind of dominated Florida. So I I know that Kind of the mantra for at least me on this show, and maybe even for them behind the scenes, is staying competitive this year. And from this opening month so far, they're staying competitive.
2: Yeah, and they've been in every game. I mean, like there, there's nothing really else. I mean, they've had they had one really bad game against Carolina, and their first period last night against Florida, David Quinn was really not happy with, and. Other than that, I mean, they've really been in every game. I mean, the Calgary game, they've—I I have to say—the Rangers have been on the end of some really miraculous backup goaltending performances, which is nothing new for the Rangers. I mean, they make backups look like Dominic Ashik and Patrick Watt, which is, again, that—that—that's become something normal for the Rangers. But I mean, their underlying numbers have been really impressive. I mean, honestly, the, the game against Florida last night—I think the only real difference was puck started to go in, and honestly, it was didn't even think it was their one of their better games. Of the season. I mean, Alexander Gorgiev put up a fantastic performance. The game against Calgary was probably the game they deserved to win. I mean, they put up 40 something shots. David Riddick, out of nowhere, never even heard of the guy before, comes out and just dominates, makes save after save. And Calgary really got a few goals based off the talent of Johnny Goudreau and got kind of a lucky goal at the end with what happened. But regardless, I've been impressed with the Rangers. I mean, pucks are going to start to go in at some point. That, that that just has to happen. And Hendrick Lundqvist looks good. There's really not a lot to complain about other than the record with the Rangers because they've, they've played some tough teams early on. They've had some tough results. And a lot of it, I feel like, has come down to puck luck. I mean, Philip Heedle doesn't have a goal, but he's second on the team in Corsi 4 percentage and second on the team in expected goal percentage forward. But really, I mean, the puck just hasn't gone in for him. And that's going to happen. That, that line, the line of him... Hayes and Fost have been really good. I just i, I got to expect that the puck's going to start to go in for at some point. If they keep playing like this, I mean, this is a team that can be competitive, especially when you have Lundqvist and Goal, who's playing well. They, it was going to take them a little while, as I mentioned on the last podcast, for them to inter- incorporate their def- new defensive system. The penalty kills looked like a mess, but I, I think they're slowly starting to really kind of get a little more organized. Back there, which is a good thing, and that was always going to take some time. It happened under Lane Vigneault. Here, they went to the Cup. They were had a brutal start. They game had a game where they gave up nine goals to San Jose. Thomas Hurdle had four goals in that one, including a in between-the-legs goal and Marty Biron. And honestly, that one was the one that put him in retirement at that point, which is <laughs> pretty bizarre. But regardless, I'm kind of rambling at this point. My point is that the Rangers are. Good. If the Rangers continue to play like this. There, there's no quit in this team. They're going to be competitive, and that's really all you could ask for in an evaluation-type year like this.
1: So Jackson mentioned scoring on this team, and that's kind of what I wanted to ask you about, Nick, is that outside of Mika Zibanejad, Matt Zuccarello, Chris Kreider, to an extent Neil and Jesper Faust, there hasn't been a whole lot of secondary scoring. I remember talking about Jimmy VC, He has not looked good at all. Kevin Hayes has not looked good, but... Pavel Bushnevich again not looking good. Uh Vladislav Nemesnikov hasn't done anything this season. He has a point in 8 games and is a minus 4. I know I'm I'm not a big plus minus guy. I think it's a bad stat. It shouldn't be used anymore, but there's a point when it kind of shows that you're not really doing your job to an extent. So Nick, what do you need to see out of this Rangers team moving forward?
0: Honestly, I feel like this year for the Rangers, they're 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 doing their plan perfectly. They just need to kind of, as you as what's been the theme, stay competitive because they're in the middle. They're doing the rebuild right. Let's just say that flat out. Their rebuild has been between the end of last year uh, with all the trades they made and uh, the offseason. They are looking really good for years to come. For right now, Henrik Lundqvist has been in great condition. His, uh, his play has been quite impressive. And then for their scores it's it seems like even though they've played some tough teams already they're they're just doing just that they're hanging in there that should be the goal for this year and if you can hang in here this year what can you do in next and pre and sorry in future years yeah. they're going to be even more competitive and that's when you start threatening the division i, I agree with that sentiment i mean j- just
2: try to be competitive listen if you come close to a playoff spot that that happens i mean that that's not the end, that's not the end goal this year obviously they want to win games but, again, I think everyone in the world knows where the Rangers' kind of mindset is at. Be competitive this year. Go get Panarin in the offseason. Possibly go get another guy if you can. And try to compete next year. You bring Krafsov over from Russia. You bring Anderson up for the full year. Obviously, Hedl has come come in this year and played. But, I mean, the the prospects are going to get here at some point. Obviously, you pray you win a lottery maybe if you don't make the playoffs and get a Jack Hughes or Capo Caco. But again, that 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 is dreaming at this point. But they're gonna they're gonna have a, a sell off at the deadline in all likelihood. I mean, probably Zuccarello is gonna end up going, unfortunately. Probably Hayes is gonna get shipped out as well. Maybe Nemestikov and Spooner, who have gotten off to real slow starts. But again, you, you got to be pretty happy if you're a Ranger fan looking at the way that they've started early out, because there's compete on every shift with these guys. Listen, they're not as talented as other teams. That that's going to happen. But I've really liked what David Quinn has put the mindset that he's put into this this team. And also, I mean, just just looking forward. I mean, again, they they've played some tough teams early on. I mean, there's and they they've been competitive in essentially every game. Obviously, the Carolina game, you give up eight goals, that happens. But and the Calgary game, sometimes you're just you're out talented. That that Mm -hmm. that happens. But. I think you got to be really happy with the direction that the Rangers are going in. And you have to think, they can't finish right now, but when they add a real elite talent like a Panarin or like a Kraftsov, their first-round pick from this last year, and when he'll, the puck starts to go in for him, it's going to look a lot different than it does right now a year or two down the road.
1: So, lastly, let's get into the Islanders. And honestly, there's really not much to go on here. <laughs> only six points. Islanders for you. Only six points from yeah. seven games. And... They had they've had a rough month so far. Um, I I know the last time we did this, they had just gotten pummeled by San Jose on Labor Day, and it, it didn't really get much better. They went out and dropped games to Nashville on the road, Anaheim on the road. They picked up a nice win against the Kings on their who last, are disaster by the who way. Who are a disaster? Uh, again, dropped another game to the Sharks, and the puck has just recently dropped in their game today against the Florida Panthers. So they'll hopefully be able to get something from that. But, Nick, I'll go to you on this first. Obviously, they're they're missing John Tavares. But outside of that, there's just not much happening for this team right now.
0: If Matthew Barzell is in a funk and not doing well, then the whole team's not doing well because Matthew Barzell is basically the team at this point. I mean, looking at the Islanders... From the outside, it. I feel like the whole organization is going through a struggle right now between, I and it stems from ownership with the arena situation and now this week what hap, uh, Charlie Wang passing away, which our condolences to his family and the organization. Uh, but, I feel like, yeah, I mean I don't know what you can say about <laughs> the Islanders other than just, they're they're trying to get something started with Lamorello and Trotz. It's just not getting off the ground, and they need more pieces around them, to really around Barzell. They have to they have to build the team around Barzell, so they can really just get the get off the ground again.
2: Yeah, I'm not really. I think that I want to say the Islanders in a rebuild mode, but again, you never really know with Lamarella what exactly his mind mm-hmm. is. at. I mean, they definitely. I mean, I I really like their draft. I mean, getting getting Wallstrom and Noah Dobson, and then getting Bodie Wild in the second round were really good gets. And they do have some prospects there. Obviously, Kiefer Bells was good at the World Juniors last year and has gotten off to a pretty good start in the AHL. So it's really about where this – I, I want to I hope they're rebuilding because if that's not the case, then, I mean, this team is in trouble if they're going to go out and try to get someone at the deadline. I don't think that mm-hmm. is – I don't think that will be the case. I think they're going to end up being sellers, particularly with Jordan Eberle. And, I mean – possibly Anders Lee, I mean, with him being a free agent. I mean, they just named him the captain, but, That'll again, I've, well. I've seen the Islanders <laughs> do some crazy things before, and that would not be the craziest by a pretty That's wide sure. margin. So that that would be that. I, I, I'm I'm not really – I don't think the Islanders are going to be much of a talking point this year just because I think we kind of know what we're going to expect of them on the ice. It's more about where they direction they go off the ice. But I do want to talk about Wang for a moment because – Again, I was I was kind of a little younger and wasn't a big hockey fan when he was re- when he was the owner of the Isles for what sixteen years I believe it was, and really hard to like put really emphasize his his impact on the Islanders because I mean his loyalty was the was the one he was basically the one that kept this team on Long Island and I know they end up moving to Brooklyn but they're going to be coming back and he's basically the reason that this team didn't end up. Moving out somewhere, and I mean his whole lighthouse project failed, but that was largely because Nassau County didn't didn't really want it to happen. Even though Wang was willing to pay for the entire thing, which is a bit ridiculous how Nassau County shut that down. But again, that's how corrupt Nassau County is for you. But it, regardless, I, I I think Islanders should remember Wang in a really he he should, they, people should have fond memories of him, even though his kind of ideas didn't end up entirely working out towards the end. But probably one of the more important figures in franchise history because if it's not for him, uh, there's a very good chance the Islanders aren't even in New York at this point. And for that, he Islanders fans, I think, will always be thankful.
0: Yeah, I mean, today we're talking about, like, Islanders going back and forth between Barclays Center and Nassau Coliseum or whatever they're calling the new one. Uh, um, We wouldn't even be talking about that. We'd be talking about no Islanders. They would be somewhere else, maybe in you know, at this point, Seattle or who knows, they could have been sent down to Vegas or Quebec and they, they wouldn't be the Islanders because this man kept them in the New York area, Long Island. And even that alone Islanders fans should be thankful for, even if, you know, it send them into this little bit of a chaos with going back and forth between the two arenas and the failed Barkley center. They're still the Islanders.
1: So let's move into the NHL as a whole now. And I really want to touch on one of just the most strange stories in the NHL right now and that is the ongoing contract failure between the Toronto Maple Leafs and William Nylander. Um he William Nylander's been over in Europe basically just playing by himself since the off-season started and I know that they've recently engaged in contract talks. Yeah.
2: Yeah, he was Kyle Dubas was in New York. He was actually at the Rangers Flames game, which is a little interesting. After the Rangers had two scouts at a Toronto game, basically a few days earlier, but he was in New York to talk to uh, I I forget his name, but he, he was in New York to talk to Nealander's agent. And I saw a report today that apparently contract negotiations are kind of turned to new light, and it looks like they're getting a little closer on a six-year extension. But again, it, it really is bizarre to me how this whole thing has taken this long because. Not only because it's not even really because Nylander and Toronto are disagreeing, but how is no one offering Nylander an offer sheet at this point? And that really goes to speak about how goddamn stupid the RFA system is in the NHL. And this is something I feel really strongly about because even in the NBA, we'll see we'll see teams give guys offer sheets. I know we've seen the Nets do it in the past. Nets have seemingly and, done it ever since they started yeah, their rebuild. Yeah, and. That's, that's been something that's been pretty prominent. But in the NHL, we never see it because I think GMs are cowards and they're, they're afraid to piss off other GMs, which is stupid because there should be some sort of respect factor between the two. And if, if a GM offer a guy, it's clearly because it would make their team better. It's not it's not because that they disrespect another GM. I mean, the last real offer sheet we've seen was the Shea, Shea Weber in Philly. And again, he ended up re-signing with, with Nashville at that time, it, it makes no sense why teams wouldn't try to get better. I mean, why wouldn't you try to go out and get a 22-year-old who's put up back-to-back 60-point seasons, can play down the middle, can play on the wing? Obviously, the draft pick compensation's there, but...
1: That's what I was just going to bring up. Do you think that they're not offer-sheeting because they don't... Because th-
2: obviously it's going to be a big contract, Absolutely which not. is going to mean a
1: high draft pick compensation, probably like
2: a first, a second, first, and a third... Because I mean, you're telling me you wouldn't give up multiple first-round picks for William Nylander right now? I mean, for teams that for a 22-year-old who puts up who's going to be a superstar in this league, you it's give tough up four first round picks at this point. That
1: that is a I think that's what's really scaring people off is the draft competition. I compensation. I,
2: I, I, right. I don't at all. I I think it's I think it has to do with the GMs being afraid to piss each other off. I, I really do because I I think it I think there if this wasn't the case then there are. Thirty GMs out there who are remarkably stupid for not offer sheeting William Nylander. That 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 that's just how I view it. I mean, Hampus Lindholm also a few years ago, his kind of holdout, and he went without a contract until I believe it was November at some point. But again, no one offer sheeted him, and that's for a young defenseman who. Right now, you could argue is a top ten defenseman in the league at this point. Maybe I'm stretching the truth there, but again, he's really good, and no one offersheeted him. It's it's kind it's kind of ridiculous at this point how they wouldn't Josh Manson last year. It took him till early October for him to agree to a deal. So it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense why these teams wouldn't offer sheet. I don't think the draft compensation should turn away even a rebuilding team like the Rangers. You want you want building pieces. William Nylander is exactly that. He's a guy you can build upon, and you'd give up what a two first-round picks to do so. That, that That's just how I view it. I, I think it's really just kind of a cowardice on the GM's part. That That's just how I look at it.
0: I mean, the whole situation as a whole is crazy. I mean, he's over in Europe right now. He's training with, uh, I don't know, what is the... Some team in Austria. I right, forget what right. the name is. But... And he's talking about maybe going to the KHL for a year. And I mean, I feel like it's just a really bad image for Toronto themselves, too. I mean, with every all the positive talk coming out of there, with you know, potential Stanley Cup uh, contending team and, you know, Austin Matthews and the whole story up there. Then you have this side story of William Nylander, who should be a big part of your team. And they're just letting this saga continue. And it's really...
1: I mean, it's obviously not impacting how the team is performing on the ice. True. Austin Matthews, 16 points. Morgan Riley looks like the best defenseman in the league with 14 points. Right. And they're on on top of their division, and they look like a juggernaut. So it's obviously not a distraction.
0: It's not a distraction, but he could be contributing to that team even more, pushing them forward. And if he is a problem on the team where, you know. not.
2: I'm just going to say that. William Yellander is not a problem. On that team, I mean, I think that I mean, I, w- I wouldn't think so.
1: I think the Leafs have mistreated
2: him in his NHL career. I mean, I mean, Bat- they, they have Babcock's mm-hmm. Babcock on the fourth line yeah, in the they, and I, I yeah. will yeah. say that. But I don't I don't even think this is a bad reflection on the Leafs at all. I mean, they, they haven't. They, the fact is, they haven't even been able to agree to a deal. I, I think that's really just the reality of it. They're probably. What a few million dollars apart at this point. They both want a long-term deal. I think they have the same goal. They're just disagreeing on what. An what do you think he's
1: looking for, money-wise? That might be the problem.
2: I'd be looking for Drysaddle money if I'm Nylander personally. I think he's. I think he's as good as Leon Drysaddle is personally. I think Drysaddle's been one who has benefited a lot off playing alongside Connor McDavid, and I think Nylander is a guy who could put up seventy points without a question this year. I, I don't think that's even a discussion, but. I mean my, could... my 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 problem is, is this this reflects so poorly on the rest of the the other 30 teams around the league because if William Nylander isn't going to get an offer sheet, who is? I mean they're, they're, you don't 22-year-old stars just don't grow on trees and they don't they don't come in free agency very often. You, you you don't even you rarely see you actually never see a 22-year-old superstar really hit the market like this and this is an opportunity for a team to go say, "Hey, let's take advantage of Toronto's miscue right now. Let's go Let's go sign this guy to an offer sheet, and if Toronto matches it, they matches it, and nothing happens. And if not, you get a superstar for compensation. That's nowhere near enough. I mean, well, I'll I'll give you an NFL comparison. Would you give up two first round picks for Khalil Mack? Yeah, yeah. you oh, would definitely. I'd give up two first round picks for William Nylander in a second, and that that's just how I. That that's really just how I do it. That's fair. And
1: Nick, mm-hmm. to your point about him being able to contribute to this team, I I feel like it would be perfect for him to slot in on that second line alongside. Austin Matthews, and then whoever you decide to keep up. You could keep Patrick Marleau. You could keep Kaspari Kapanen. Because I don't think he breaks onto that first line because I feel like Hyman, Tavares, and Marner have gelled very nicely together. But a line with Austin Matthews and William Nylander together, that just sounds like a recipe for success.
2: And it has it, it it th- <laughs> been successful in the past. I mean, they played last year with... Last year was the main line was... as We only got like a minute and a half left, but... It was Mar- last year, excuse me. It was Nylander, Matthews, and Hyman, which was the line that had so much success at the beginning there. And Babcock kind of went away f- away from it. But like you said, I I know Nick, you got something to say too. It just if Toronto really wanted to get a deal done, I feel like they definitely could, and I- they definitely have the capability to sign him to a long term extension. I just I I just really am I'm kind of pissed off at a- at the rest of the league for really not putting some money forth to try to go after this guy because it that that it's kind of a disgrace how these guys kind of just letting each other go out throughout their business that's not how the nhl should work It, it really shouldn't
0: i mean if you're a gm in the nhl you should be thinking about your own team not any other team especially like toronto uh you know they already have a big market they already have big stars you could be improving your team and from toronto's point of view. Nealander could be improving their team,
2: and he could be a piece that can win a team a Stanley Cup. And they're not. And they're the fact that teams aren't trying to take advantage of that is a disgrace, in my opinion. That that that's just how I look at it. And, and the dry. RFA system needs to change in the so NHL. So this yeah. is
1: definitely a situation to worth monitoring as we get closer to that December first deadline for RFA's to sign for the year and be able to play. But unfortunately, that is all the time we have for this week. For Jackson Heil, Nick Lehman, I'm Matt Costantini. Come back next week.